Dr. Ken Remy is a scientist and physician with Washington University in St. Louis. In late November, Dr. Remy made international headlines when he released a video pleading with people to wear masks and to social distance in order to avoid COVID. An ICU doctor, Remy was in full protection gear when he simulated an intubation from a patient's point of view. Soon after, Dr. Remy spoke with Global Justice Ecology Project about what he sees as an increased risk of pandemic from global warming. Several days ago, you released a uh, video which uh, uh, has been profiled in the national news uh, and even in some uh, outlets internationally. Could you uh, describe what that was briefly? Sure. So I made a video uh, while in the intensive care unit uh, this past week that was simulating uh, the procedure of putting in a breathing tube in a patient um, that had COVID disease. And uh, with that, I um, added the message to try to increase uh, individuals out in the community to wear um, a face mask. And in the process of uh, putting that on my Facebook page and on my Twitter page, um, now that has uh, become viral now between that and, and Instagram and others. Um, it looks like we're almost 600,000 people across the world have um, seen this. And uh, there's been a number of different uh, uh, news networks that have picked up the story. So why did you feel compelled to do that, doctor? So, you know, being involved in, in this pandemic since the beginning and since March, taking care of over a thousand patients and intubating a little over a hundred, um, you know, we, we seemingly did much better after the first wave of the pandemic as we were heading into this fall. But over the past two and a half weeks, we've seen our numbers substantially surge and our capacity into our hospitals um, substantially to be depleted. The other thing that's been going on is that a number of our healthcare workers have become um, sick with COVID disease that mimics our community spread. And so the evening that this occurred, I had already spoken to 10 families um, and let them know that their loved one had died over the previous three days. And frankly, just at that point, it just was a sense of defeat and fatigue. And seeing that with my colleagues, I decided to grab an endotracheal tube and a laryngoscope and made this video. And I guess I made this, frankly, because, you know, knowing that our current therapies since really since June haven't changed much with inpatient uh, uh, inpatients. All we really have is dexamethasone and remdesivir, and remdesivir probably has really equivocal responses in patients that are that sick. So, and the other common thing that I would hear from a lot of individuals in the community is that, well, you know, this disease only kills 1% of all those that are positive. But the misnomer in that number is that that takes all comers. That doesn't take those that are hospitalized and it doesn't take patients that enter an intensive care unit. And so the patient population that I substantially see have a much higher mortality and don't live as, as unfortunately to that same level. And when I get to the point of having to put a breathing tube in, potentially one and two may in fact die. And so there's no way for me to necessarily be able to predict who's going to die and who's not going to die. We grow pretty aggressive supportive care measures right now that are not necessarily directed towards COVID, but the way that we would manage any patient with this level of lung injury. But um, the only way that I really know how to keep people alive is to hopefully try to avoid you getting the disease in the first place. And so I was hopeful that maybe this would be one entree to individuals to see how real and how serious it really is once you get hospitalized. Yeah, so that has garnered a lot of national and international attention. But this is not your first pandemic or epidemic, is it? 
Absolutely not. So I was actively involved in the first SARS in 2003, in two, three, and four, where we had some minimal cases. I was actively involved in 2009 in New York City in the H1N1 pandemic. I was actively involved in our Ebola pandemic as well in 2012-13 and traveled outside the country for many of these. So I've seen Lots of people die from those sorts of pandemics. Um, it's been this is a bit different, just frankly because of how it affects not only the United States but really how globally um, this has really affected a lot of different countries. The United States, at least with Ebola, and I took care of patients with Ebola um, and at the National Institutes of Health, um, and then outside the country. Um, we were generally spared from that as well as we were spared from SARS um, in, in great fashion. Our Canadian friends were, were not as lucky. But this pandemic has unfortunately uh, wreaked significant havoc across health systems across the globe. Since you have some history here, we're, we're, we're interested. Do you think that uh, global climate changes may uh, be or correspond to uh, uh, potential increases in this type of event? I think it's undeniable that um, at least that the frequency by which we're seeing pandemics over the past 20 plus years has seemingly increased. And, you know, it may not be to the level of certainly of COVID, but in uh, regionally and hemispheric pandemics between different countries, we certainly do see um, an increase in frequency. And what we do know is that in the past 20 years, deforestation of, of, of uh, a lot of our um, Amazon rainforests and other um, natural habitats um, and also sort of uh, global warming, uh, even by a single degree to two degrees, seemingly has changed the way that our fauna and our flora perhaps interact into our Um, microbiome or our biome really and so there is a migration of certainly birds and animals that have changed their patterns to some degree at least that we know in some evidence and so it's not unreasonable to think that many of these diseases that are transmitted via vehicles such as uh, birds or even bats uh, may be impacted directly by um, climate change you do believe it's it's not unreasonable to believe that uh, if uh, climate change continues to worsen, that we may see uh, greater outbreaks or more frequent outbreaks in uh, this type of disease. I do believe that that's likely. I think the other consideration is that over the past 20, 30 years, besides animals changing their potential migration patterns, the other thing is that our ability to travel around the globe as humans has greatly improved. And so it's become uh, cost effective to be able to get on an airplane and go to different parts of the world. And so, in fact, humans may be vectors of certain diseases. Now, this I don't have data to support that, but it's not unreasonable to consider that both migration patterns of different animals really moving uh, towards the poles because it's cooler. Um as the earth uh, heats up and then changes in pollution patterns and uh, and, and other climate uh, changes, certainly that's reasonable. And as you, as you know, um, we certainly know that our storm patterns and, and weather patterns uh, certainly have increased in major storms that at least locally we would have never exist. We would have never suspected having hundred year storms with frequency that are much less than 100 uh, uh, year storms. So I think it's certainly reasonable. 
Well, so so to be to be clear to our listeners, uh, you're not saying that you have research or you're researching global uh, warming and and increases in in pandemic. But as a professional physician and scientist who has uh, worked a lot in the field, uh, you believe that uh, it is not unreasonable to believe that uh, uh, global warming has increased and may continue to increase uh, episodes of uh, global pandemic. Undeniably, and I will be the first to tell you that um, based off your questions that you asked, um, this is not my area of expertise. These are just hazard opinions. Uh, I think that there is a number of excellent experts in the country, such as uh, Dr. Aaron Bernstein uh, or at the Chan, at the Harvard Chan Public School of Health, who are doing significant research specifically in coronaviruses and other pandemics and climate change. There's a number of different experts across the United States, across the globe that are actually researching this, really trying to refine perhaps where there are areas specifically that may be directly related to climate change and pandemic uh, derivation. So just one follow up, these researchers that you mentioned. Uh, so you are aware that there is uh, research in the in, in out there that does uh, make a correlation uh, between these two phenomena. Yeah, actually, you know, over the past 20 or 25 years, uh, you know, I've read a number of different manuscripts specifically about pandemics and climate change. And there actually are a number of different groups, uh, as mentioned, um, that have looked at not only the impact of pollution in a pandemic and changes in pollution, but have also looked at climate change and how to address this and maintain sustainable development in a pandemic, uh, changes in compound climate risk, I'm aware of um, some of the different uh, urban versus non-urban changes uh, as, far, as far as also uh, deforestation of the Amazon rainforest impact. So you know, I'm well aware of at least these and, and I certainly have read a number of scientific manuscripts in, in these areas, um, but I'm really looking at it as an observer, not an expert. Well, thank you, Dr. Rem. 